Good morning, family. How's everybody doing? You all good? It's so good to see you this morning and good to be with you and uh, just experience again just the Lord's grace, His goodness, His favor among us here today. We are really thrilled to have with us in the morning service a special guest that's going to be ministering the word here with us this morning for a special reason that I've asked them to come and share with us, and, and we're going to participate in communion together. But uh, Dan Backens is a good friend of Natasha and myself, him and his wife Rhonda. Uh, we've had some fun together in certain parts, different parts of the world. And uh, he leads the 5,000-member New Life Church in uh, Virginia Beach, in Virginia in the USA, which is a multi-site church and a um, multi-ethnic, multi, uh, just people from all over the place that comes together to worship in that church. He's also the senior executive director of the One Focus Network, which is an international network of Christian leaders, ministries, and churches, of which Pastor Jack Robleski, who you also know well, is part of that, that team and part of their core team. Um, he's, he's got a master's degree in church history and, and renewal theology and a doctorate in worship studies. And today he's going to come and share with us a little bit from that space. And, and as I said, he's happily married to Rhonda, I think 40, how many did you say? 41, 40, 41 years already. They have three children and eight grandchildren, and we're really privileged to have two of his sons that have joined him on this trip that's with him to make sure that he keeps himself, you know, doesn't get too in much in trouble. So Matthew and Jonathan, won't you stand and just give everybody a good wave? They've also just joined, and uh, it's really great to have them with us. So Dan, I'm going to invite you to come. And he's going to share a really good word with you that I believe is something that we're going to carry with us for a long period of time and build into the foundations of this community. So won't you stretch out your hands to Dan and let's just welcome him and, and just bless him in the spirit also. Father, we thank you for Dan. Thank you for the gift that he is to his church, his community back home, but today also to us. And we know sometimes you use him in many different places. And we just welcome him. We receive him in the spirit. We receive his word that he brings, that, that it comes from you and that you would speak to us through him today. And we thank you for that. Bless him. Just make him feel right at home in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's a great, great privilege to be at Hatfield. I've known about this church for years. It's such a small world today. I meet South Africans everywhere. They're the noisy ones in every group. But they're the fun ones, too, so. Jonathan, who's with me on this trip, he lived four years not far from here. He's in Botswana. And uh, where else were you, son? In Zambia. And he's been here to some conferences at Hatfield. And so some of you that have been here for a while, do you all remember um, Paul Vermack? Anybody remember Paul? He used to be on staff. Paul came to the States and ended up in our church. Now he's an elder in our church. And uh, anybody here know Corney Becker? Corney, he's an elder in our church. And uh, just somehow we've had this, this connection. And I, I, I watch Hatfield online all the time and uh, listen to Louis' sermons and the worship team. I don't know their names, but I, uh, the worship style here is very similar to home. And God's doing something all around the world in worship. And I hear so many good things about Hatfield in this city. I know over the last 15 years has been quite a ride here. Actually, was, was Hatfield about 40 years old? 
is that roughly about 40 years old? And what a wonderful history and impact. And, and now I hear there's a fresh wind blowing in your midst. Is that right? I'm hearing great testimonies of a renewed impact and vision and the Lord's growing his church again and, and uh, such a healthy place. And Pastor Louis, so much of it is because of what you brought here, such a stabilizing fatherly figure and warm heart. And, and uh, let's give him a hand clap and a raise. <laughs> What's that? Oh, he just whispered to me, anybody can clap. He says, tithe. My wife generally travels with me. Uh, she's not with me on this trip, and so I asked Jonathan, who lived here, and, and uh, said, son, would you like to accompany me? I don't like to travel alone that much. And he said, yeah, Dad, I'd like to go with you. And so he, he, he teaches at a local uh, college, and their spring break, your fall, our spring, was this week, so he came with me, and I'm, so I'm just really excited to be able to travel with Jonathan. And so my older son, Matthew, uh, he... He was there, and I just, I just said, son, uh, if you want to go, you can come too. And I never even thought about it until about a month later, Matthew says to me, Dad, I'm going to take you up on that offer. I'm going to come to South Africa with you. And so on my outside, I'm going, that's great. On the inside, I'm going, who's paying for this? <laughs> Fortunately, he just had his 40th birthday, so I thought, well, that's, I'll just say, son, this is your 40th birthday, and Jonathan, this is your 40th birthday. This is your anniversary present. This is your grandchildren's birthday present. We're going to roll it all, all into one, one big event. We're going to go to Kruger National Park. When we're done here, you know, everybody's got to see Kruger. Um, you know, I'm from, obviously, you know, I'm uh, from America and, and uh, South uh, South Africa holds such a mystique in, in, the, in the American mind. It's, it's the place, you know, you get off the plane, it's like, wow, you feel that dry heat? There's no place like it in the whole world. <laughs> man, look at this is awesome. Look at this. And you're not even out of the airport yet. Oh, man, this place is so alive down here. So we're going to go to Kruger National Park, and we're going to see the big five. You know, if, if there are... If there are going to be out and about, and, and my son Matthew is his temperament type. He's a real refiner, my son Matthew. So, you know, he can be in a meeting, and within just 30 seconds, he's refining. And so he says, Dad, we shouldn't really see the big five, because we could be disappointed. Let's, let's shoot for two big five, two mediums, and one small. <laughs> so I guess that's now our goal, to find two mediums in the, in, in the Kruger National Park. I want to do a quick shout out. I, I was at the open house yesterday for the, the Hatfield School, and I was a principal of a Christian school, and uh, so it was such a delight to see what you're doing here, and we had two wonderful young people, Aiden and Faye, two students in the 11th grade that showed us around, and just tremendous quality, and I want to give a shout out to Graham and Tony and Andrew, who lead that school so well. It was such a delight to be there, and and all those that are here. Louis felt over the last 18 months or so that there was going to be a revolution, a revival of love in this church. And the Bible says faith worketh by love. You can pursue faith and miracles 
the shelf life is not very long. That runs out of gas. But if you pursue love, authentic love, real love, love that keeps us together even when we're not getting along, love that's endearing, love that's patient and kind, out of that can grow miracles and and a miraculous future. I just want to prophesy over this place. Hatfield, you haven't seen anything yet. As you love your city and you love the nation and you love the world, uh, God's going to do some, some things that maybe today you can't even dream of. And I just say yes and amen to that, and I'm going to thank you for that. So we're going to continue in the series, uh, The Love Revolution, and today's message is entitled, Carried to the King's Table, Carried to the King's Table. And in a little bit, we're going to talk about Mephibosheth and how he was carried to the King's Table. And to set up a background for what I want to talk to you today about is I have been in the charismatic movement uh, since I was age 18. I was born and raised Lutheran. I have a German heritage, and uh, born and raised Lutheran, and, and, I, and I got saved at age 18, and then I became part of the charismatic movement of the 1970s in the States, and, and that launched independent churches all across our nation, non-denominational churches that are charismatic, or you could call them spirit-filled churches, and, and some of the stuff from Lutheranism I disregarded. As I've gotten older, I've stepped back and I've looked at, at the great movements of God. And what God is doing in this hour, God is converging some things. There are three great movements in the church and worship. And I want to use this as kind of a launching pad I want to talk to you about. In the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, there was a recovering of the centrality of the Word of God, sola scriptura. If you're thankful for the Word of God today, say amen with me. Would you do that? And the, and the Word of God took the center and not tradition The Word of God took center and not culture. The Word of God transcends culture. And there was a whole movement of going back to the Bible, going back to the inspiration of Scriptures, and this believing the man had to be born again and women had to have a personal commitment to Christ. And the evangelical movement... Uh, was, was launched. And then their second great movement was the, was the charismatic movement, which took, which took your Baptist and, and your Bible-believing churches, and it added to them the move of the Holy Ghost and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then we kind of settled there for a while. We believe in the Bible. We believe in the Spirit. You had the Pentecostals, and you kind of had the Baptists. You had the charismatics, and you had the Reformed. You, you had these two camps. They kind of got along, but one was the Word camp. One was the Spirit camp. Those lines are being blurred today. People are coming together from all kinds of streams. And what God seems to be doing in this last 15 years or so, God is restoring the third leg of the stool. You've got the Word, you've got the Spirit, and this third leg of of the sacrament, the sacramental life of the church. And lots of misunderstanding about sacraments have really poisoned so many minds and hearts, and it's become kind of magical and kind of weird, kind of Catholic. And so we're, we're kind, of, kind of afraid of that word sacrament. And I, I have a different word from, from the word sacrament. I use the word, it's a portal of grace. It's these, it's these things that God designs in our life that are of a physical nature that, that allows His real presence to come into our life in a way that it comes in no other way. Let me define a portal of grace for you. Is there a PowerPoint? Louis? Okay, I'm going to act it out. This looks like the YMCA. Y-M-C-A. 
portals of grace could be defined this way. It's an encounter with Christ's personal presence through material elements. It's an encounter with Christ's personal presence through real natural material elements. What I mean by that is, you know, when we sing, Christ's presence comes. When we worship, would you agree with me that the goal of worship is for the manifest presence of Christ to come? It's intuitive. It's subjective. We're not exactly sure scientifically what's happened, but we know that He's in the room. He's with me. You know, I like that song, when He walks into the room, the miracles begin to happen. We're very familiar with His presence, and we're used to His presence coming in singing. We're used to His presence coming in reading the Bible and in prayer. But there's even a more ancient way that His presence would come, and that is through a portal of grace. It's, that is water, wine, bread, oil, and touch, where God comes through His creation. Well, you know, for example, you know when it says that if somebody's sick, you're supposed to pray for them? It says lay hands on them. Why do you lay hands on them? Why couldn't I just, you know, we're, we're all afraid of this coronavirus thing, right? And so we're hesitant to lay hands on any, you know. I have washed my hands so many times in the last couple of weeks. They're just breaking out from all of the, cl- my wife, you know, I want to embrace my wife. She said, did you clean your hands? <laughs> well, honey, well, just a minute. Shh, shh, shh. Why does the Bible say to lay hands on the sick? Why does it say in James to anoint with oil? Are these extraneous things? I don't think so. It's something Pentecostals used to use the point of contact theology. It's the idea that in that natural element of touch, of oil, of bread and wine, that God releases grace in your life as if it was a portal, as if it was an entrance, as if it was like a door. You know, I've been going to be gone from home for quite a while. When I see my wife, I could see her at the airport, and I could say, hey, Rhonda, I love you so much. She could say, she could be on the other side of the airport going, I love you too, Stud Muffin. That's my, that's my pet name, Stud Muffin. I got the muffin part down. (laughs) I'll leave the stud part to your imagination. Anyway, she says, hey, stud muffin. And we could talk back and forth. That's what you do in singing. The Lord speaks, you speak back, I love you, Lord. And the Lord says, I bless you. And And that's what you do in prayer. You pray in Jesus' name and God answers. But would that be enough for me just to talk to her? I want to embrace her. I want to run across the airport and hold her and touch her. There's something about the touch that communicates love that just the words cannot. You can get to God without a touch, without without anything physical. I'm just going to be a super spiritual guy. And you can say bread and wine is just symbolic. The water baptism is just symbolic. The oil is just symbolic. The laying out of hands is just symbolic. It's not that big of a deal. You can live like that. However, I want to encourage you to live in a little different way. Could you see that the oil, the bread, and the wine, and the water, and the touch is God's gift to you to get your five senses involved in the action so that the reality of His grace becomes more real to you? Now, I like, when I, when, when I, when I take communion, I like wine. 
Something about grape juice is just like, hmm. Wine fills up your nose. It fills your senses. It, it fills it down. This is a, my body is experiencing. I'm tasting, I'm feeling, I'm sensing. This is what a portal of grace does. There's something about the touch. There's something about the, it's incarnational. It's, there's something about the, the, the ordinary that God is using to, to communicate something to you. So he got the grace of heaven. Our faith goes up, we meet him at the point of contact. It's called a portal of grace or it's called a sacrament. It's called a sacrament. I think that term is loaded with a lot of stuff I don't want to associate with it. So I'm just using, excuse me, the phrase, it's a portal of grace. The hatch is opened. And I might say, do you have to have all those things? No. You don't have to. It's just another significant way that God uses to bring his personal presence, to bring his spirit into your life. The high point of a worship experience for 1,800 years was not the singing and was not the preaching. It was not the offering. The high point has always been the Lord's table. I may not sense his presence in the singing, but when I come to the table and I eat the bread and I drink the juice... His presence. Let it be done according to your faith. As we close this out in just a little bit, when you come to the table and you partake of the elements, believe that God's real presence, Christ's personal presence, will touch your life. I want to talk about one particular way he does that today. I'm going to give an illustration from the Old Testament. And that's what the Bible calls the table of the Lord. Holy communion the Lord's Supper, the table of the Lord, and Eucharist are, are kind of synonymous. Well, they are. They're, they're synonymous terms. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 21, uses the phrase, the table of the Lord. Would you say that with me? The table of the Lord. In the Old Testament, over and over and over again, there's a foreshadowing of what in the new covenant will be fulfilled in the Lord's Supper. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, the night before he was betrayed, the Bible tells us it was the Passover meal. They took that ancient Passover feast, contextualized it in the new covenant, and it took on a new meaning. In the old covenant, there are other examples and stories where bread and wine or a meal or a table a table of the king, a table becomes the table of the Lord in the new covenant. I want to encourage you today, everything in the Bible, every city, every name, every place, every story, every detail, isn't there by accident. God's using it. God uses it in the new covenant. We see it with new eyes to give us deeper understanding of the things of God. If you agree with that, would you say amen with me? I want to tell you about this story about Mephibosheth. Today, if you don't speak in tongues... I'm going to have you say Mephibosheth four times in a row quickly. And you're getting your prayer language right there. Mephibosheth, 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 you're on your way, baby. So if you're a guest today, that's a freebie. You say, what did you learn in church at Hatfield? Well, I learned to pray in tongues. Mephibosheth, 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 Mephibosheth. The word Mephibosheth means the mouth of shame. This man lived a life of shame, a life of disappointment. 
Mephibosheth is the son, Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan. He's the grandson of Saul. Jonathan and David had a covenantal friendship, and Jonathan made David promise in 1 Samuel that if he would die, if Jonathan would die, that David would take care of his family. Well, Saul and Jonathan both died at Mount Gilboa in battle. Jonathan lost his life in battle. Saul took his own life in suicide. They both died the same day. It changed this five-year-old boy's life. Our text in 2 Samuel chapter 4 says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, he was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled, and as she fled in haste, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. So evidently this woman which had been customary at that time, if the king died, the new rising king would kill all of the descendants of the existing king. So she took this child and hoping to save his life, she ran for her life. She must have fell down some stairs. Both of his legs were broken, probably. In those days, there was no way to set the legs accurately, and so he was lame in both legs, the Bible says, uh, from that day forward. So you fast forward, now David is king. Mephibosheth's a man, Mephibosheth is married and has a son of his own, and he's living in a small town. And the name of that town is the place of scarceness. He went from abundance to a place of scarceness. David remembered that he made a promise to Jonathan about his kids. So he, he says... In 2 Samuel 9, 1, and David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? The typology is clear. David represents God, the Father. Jonathan represents the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Mephibosheth represents us, the lame, the shamed, the broken. And David says, because of my son Jonathan, because of what he's done, and my friend Jonathan, does he have any offspring here that I can bless? So it goes on in our text, in chapter 9, verse 7, and David said to him, do not fear, Mephibosheth, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore there's the key word. I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And here you go. And you shall eat at my table always. goes on in verse 11. It says, so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Verse 13. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table, for he was lame in both feet. It says, Mephibosheth lived. Why did he live? Because the king said, come to my table. Today the Lord's prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Even though the world is against you, the king is for you. And he invites you to come to his table today and to eat. Mephibosheth represents every sinner who says, I cannot come to the table in my own strength. 
I'm lame in both legs. Someone needs to carry me. So men and women of God, carry the sinner to the cross. And you might even be a saint today and you feel lame today. Something has gone wrong in your life. Mephibosheth didn't do anything wrong. He's only five years old and all hell broke loose in his life. Maybe you've been going along pretty good and something's happened to you. There's been a divorce. There's been a prodigal son or daughter. There has been an unemployment that came out of the blue. Maybe you have an issue in your family. Maybe there's something in your body that has been diagnosed and all of a sudden what looked like is a new trajectory of a good life in one day has now become to the point where you now feel lame. You feel out of joint. You feel like if somebody doesn't help you, you're not going to make it. Well, here's the good news today. The Lord prepares a table for you today. And in the bread and in the wine comes his real presence. And he says, just as I restored everything that was stolen from Mephibosheth, I will restore to you everything that's been stolen from you. At my table, you can always come to my table. And you don't have to leave and you can overeat. In America, we've got this craziest thing with buffets. We actually, aver- I don't know if you do this in South Africa, Louis, but we advertise buffets all you can eat. Not all you should eat. Not all do you want to eat. You can eat as much food as you possibly can. That's what the Lord says to you at at the king's table. There are no small portions. You can have as much leg of lamb as you want. It's free of charge. It's been paid for. It's the king's food. This is foreshadowing the power of the Lord's table. This point of grace, this portal where God's saying to you, I've got grace for you today. And you might be thinking, there's no way today I could sing enough to get the blessing I need. There's no way I can pray enough. Can I tell you, if you're going through a really difficult time and and it's dark, There are times you can't pray. So when you hear all this teaching about pray, you just pray through. You got to pray, intercede, pray. There's sometimes you can go, oh, love, I just claim the promises of God. I'm standing. And there are other times saying, Lord, I'm just so wiped out, man. I got post stress. What's that thing called? Post trauma stress disorders. I would call PT. I'm so PTSD'd in the spirit. I don't have anything to give. I, I don't even know what I believe anymore. Somebody said, well, just pray in tongues. Oh, I can't even pray in tongues. I just had it. Oh, you are a candidate for a portal of grace. It's called, it's a portal of grace. All you got to do is come and bring the little bit of faith that you've got. Drag yourself to the Lord's Supper. You don't come to the Lord's Supper because you're worthy. You don't come to the Lord's Supper because you've done something great for God. We are all lame, and we're lame in both feet. I've got nothing to stand on. I've got nothing to give you. I have no righteousness of my own. I'm not living a life that I, that I thought I'd be living by this time. Lord, I just bring you all my brokenness, all my shame, all my disappointment, and I just come to the Lord. says, come, there's a place for you at the table. Just come. Lord, I'm just loaded with shame. The trajectory of my life is not what I thought it would be. He says, there's a place for you at the table. Lord, my mind isn't working like it used to. I'm feeling a little bit infirm. I'm not, I'm not young and virile like I used to be. He says, there's a place for you at the table. Lord, I just went through a divorce. I don't feel like I belong in the church. The Lord says, there's a place for you at the table. He says, every lame person is welcome at the king's table. 
You see, the church, the church, uh, I know Hatfields, but there's so many churches, the idea is get cleaned up and then come to church. Oh, Lord Jesus. You come to church to get cleaned up. You come to church to be touched in worship. You come to church to hear the gospel preached to you. You come to church to come to a table and receive body and blood of the Lord Savior, the Lord Jesus, pointing back to the cross and all he's purchased for you. And in that moment, it's like this portal is opened up and it's open and heaven rushes into the sinner's life and say, I can't deserve the blessing. And he says, you can always eat at the table. You shall always live with me. Everything I have, I'm going to restore everything the devil has taken. See, at the table of the king, there's grace, there's provision, there's safety, there's an identity. Maybe today you have family dysfunction. If you have some kind of family dysfunction in your family, don't raise your hand. I see it's unanimous. We all got stuff. There's a place for you at the table. Today you were singing. And the person down there, their eyes are closed, their hands are up, and man, something good's happening over there. That guy over there is kneeling, and I'm not feeling anything. I guess this is how you do it. Oh, okay, this is how we do it. I guess this, this is how we do it. We don't dance anymore. We used to dance all the time. Into it. This is how we do it. I'm not feeling. Oh, you don't have to feel anything to come to the Lord's table. You don't have to have the Holy Spirit come and zap you. You just say, Lord, I'm, I'm just coming as a, as a lame man, as a man out of the mouth who has had shame like Mephibosheth. And Lord says, there's a place for you at the table. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, wait for people at the table. We're all coming together. Different socioeconomic classes, different tribes, different ethnicities coming together. Men and women coming together. Gen X, Gen Zs, Gen Ys, Jennifer Aniston's were all coming together. <laughs> Boomers and busters were all coming together. We're all coming to the table. There's not anybody at the head of this table but Jesus. We're all coming to the table. Our church has been around for over 20 years. We haven't had a big church split. And I want to just compliment this church going through what this church has gone through over the last few several years ago. Man, this, this church is phenomenal. One of the ways the church, the church has staying power, <laughs> the church will be here tomorrow and be here in a hundred years, is we elevate the table. We're coming together as the table. I know that you're not perfect, you're not perfect, you're not perfect, and I'm not perfect. We're coming to the table. We've been invited by the king to the table. We could partake, we can eat all we want, so we eat to our full. You know, the Lord's table, you don't come to the table because you have unity. Hear me now. You come to the table to get unity. Amen. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, because there is one loaf, there is one body. Because we partake together, you and I may not get along that well. We may have had disagreements in the past. I don't even know who you are. How did you get in here? God, only God knows how you got in the church didn't I see you at the club on Thursday? <laughs> Wait a minute, that means I was at the club. Scratch that thought. 
We're all coming to the table together and we're saying, what does the Lord expect you to do when you come to the table? How do you have the Lord's Supper worthily? Not because you got your act together. You come to the Lord's Supper worthily by admitting you're not worthy. That's how you come worthily. Lord, I'm not worthy. It's not my righteousness. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for blood. I thank you for a body that was broken for me. And you come and you all come together. All this, this motley crew, the misfits of David, we all come together. We wait at the table together. And then you hear these words, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of what I've done for you. This is my blood shed for you. It's the blood of a new covenant. It's not condemnation. It's the blood of forgiveness and acceptance. Do this often in remembrance of me. And the Bible says when people come together like that, that healing would manifest in their church. Because when they came together unworthily, it says that many were sick and died. The meaning behind that is there's this canopy of blessing and healing that when we partake of the Lord's Supper in the right way, that is humbly admitting our need for God. When you do that, there's a blessing on the whole body. I like the musicians. Do the musicians come at this service as well? The musicians would come. I want to tell you a story. Y'all welcome at the Lord's table today. It's a portal of grace. Once you get touched. I want to be a man of the word. I want to be a man of the spirit, but I also, also want to be a man of a sacramental worship that when I come to the table, I expect an encounter. I expect, to, I expect to be healed. I think more people are healed at the Lord's table than are healed in prayer services. Because the position is, it's a portal of grace, you see. That's how grace works. You just bring your little faith and God pours into you grace. At 55 years old, I started a doctoral program partly out of a sense of I wanted to be a lifelong learner. And now I had the opportunity to do it. So I went back to school. I stayed pastoring New Life, but I went to school. The very first day I was at the seminary, it was an evening service. It was a communion service. Just as I'm leaving my, my hotel to go, I'm in another town. Just as I'm getting ready to go, my wife calls me, Rhonda. And she tells me about my daughter, Anna. Anna's name means grace. And she'd gotten into trouble. Really, really, really big trouble. And every bit of faith just went out, out of me. And the heaviness of a parent loving a child that's going through some bad stuff, it was overwhelming to me because we had been, been a long journey with her. And the minute I left town, something, she did something, and it was bad. So I said to Rhonda, should I come home? And she said, no, you can stay. So I, I, I went to the prayer service, the, the, the communion service, uh, opening night of the seminary, and I didn't know anybody there. I'm, I'm an introvert, actually. So I'm kind of in the back pew, I wanted to go to my hotel room and curl up in a fetal position and just 
don't know what I was going to do, just sulk, I guess. But I went, and they invited us to the table of the Lord. And I was so eager to go to the Eucharist. I, I just said, Lord, I need this touch of grace. I can't say the liturgy. I can't sing. I, even, I, can't even, I can't even read the stuff in the bulletin. I, I'm just wasted. I felt so, as such a failure as a father and such a failure as a, as a pastor. And, and all the stuff I taught all these years was just un, coming undone and parenting. And I felt shame. So I go to this prayer meeting, and they're doing the Lord's Supper at the end, and I, and I stand in line, you know. I get up there, and we, in that particular prayer service, we knelt. So I, I knelt, and the, the pastor came by. And he said, here's Christ's body broken for you. Then came the chalice. Here's Christ's blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. It's, it's a cup of a new covenant. And when I partook of that juice, I just stayed there at the, at the kneeling rail. And it wasn't a symbol. It wasn't like a bumper sticker or a crosser on my neck. I had an encounter. It was a portal of grace. It was a sacramental moment where heaven opened up and the Lord saw Mephibosheth, a lame man, and he poured into me forgiveness and love and acceptance. And then a pastor came by and he laid his hand on my shoulder and he prayed for me. And I got up from that table and I went back to my chair. I felt 10 feet tall. It's just what grace does. I felt like, like Mephibosheth, I'm one of the king's sons. The Lord restored to me everything that had been stolen in one phone conversation. 14 years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. I had surgery, I had radiation, and I had a drug regimen. And uh, the doctor said, you have a 20% chance to live. I was a young man. And so my wife and I said, let's take the Lord's Supper every night together. Because then, you know, if this is Christ's body, somehow... His body was whipped for my healing. So we took it every night. I communed her, she communed to me. I'm here today, and my cancer markers are the lowest they've ever been. So some of you say, Dan, give, give, a, give a testimony on, on how you got healed. This is, this is my testimony. My faith was so small but God's grace was so big that all I needed was to open up the portal. And I opened up the portal, and he poured in healing, and he poured in hope. And maybe today you don't know him. Pastor, would you join me on the platform, Louis? Maybe you don't know him, and you can know him today. And when you come to the table today, come with expectation. The king has invited you. There's a place for you. And you may feel lame and out of joint and unworthy. Ha, ah. He's the one, you're the one, you're the one, you're the one, you're the one that he wants at the table more than anyone else and receive the king's provision. Father, we thank you for your word today. 
I thank you, Lord, that there's grace, multiplied grace for every man and woman here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Dan. We're going to invite you to join us at the Lord's table. If you're not familiar with how we normally do it at the church here, then just let me remind you quickly of where you can come to receive the sacraments this morning. If you're in this middle block here with me, there's a, there'll be a slide on the screen just now. Then you guys can come to the front and use this, these tables here, the middle block people in the front part of it. For those of you on the side, you can go behind the screens on that side, or for you on this side, go behind the screens on that side. And there will be tables ready for you. For those of you that are in the back, you can go towards the foyer and there will be tables for you. In the, in the uh, upstairs, in my left-hand side is the Kopenong Hall. You can go to the Kopenong Hall, those of you on this side, and go and help yourself in the, in the Kopenong Hall for the elements. To my right-hand side, uh, there will be in the passages, there will be tables for you to go and partake of the table. We encourage you to go and serve yourself as we have put the tables out. You can do it together as families or groups of friends or even with a strange stranger. There's somebody that you may not know just to say, the Lord has brought us to the table today. He carried us to the king's table. If you cannot come to the table by yourself, if you're unable to walk, then just raise your hands. And some of our leaders will look around and they'll make sure that you do get the elements. But won't you stand with me and I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to release you. I'd like you to take this moment. It's a solemn time together. And so let's treat it with the reverence that it requires when we share together. We're not going to come back towards the end of the service again. We're going to continue to worship for a bit. Please take your belongings with you as you go to the table. You're welcome to come back into your chairs if you want to and just linger for a bit. If you need prayer this morning after we've finished with the times of communion, please come to the front and our team will be here ready to pray with you. If there's something specific, like Dan said, we believe in the laying on of hands. Come and let somebody lay hands on you. If you haven't met the Lord Jesus, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, I want to invite you to come. And just tell the person that you're going to meet at the front here to say, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to live for Jesus. And they'll help you with that. I'll remind you, those of you that are visitors, to please go to the uh, Connect Lounge area and to just meet with our team there. They'd love to spend a little bit of time with you. But let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Thank you that your heart is for each of us. That you knew what we needed and you know what we need. That in our times of greatest struggle, you have everything we need. And this morning we just recognize that we do not deserve your grace. We are not worthy, Lord. But it is when we come and we receive from you that we receive worthiness, Lord. That we receive to become your children that eat at your table every day. Thank you for this moment of grace. We pray, Lord, that as we come and as we partake of these elements, Lord,
We pray for the power of your spirit to be evident in this place. We pray for deliverance, Lord. We pray for salvation. We pray for healing. We pray for provision, Lord, for your people. Because you have made available to us in Jesus and in the cross every good thing. And so we come by faith today. And we receive what you have done for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Please make your way to the table and share together with somebody as we have outlined. Thank you.